When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast, part of the All City Network. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. We are coming to you on Sunday, July 9th. And Brendan, the first half, uh, not literally, but as we head into the All-Star break, is over. The Cubs take two of three in New York, uh, winning some of their first games ever in the Bronx over the New York Yankees and Anthony Rizzo. Jamison Tyone delivers his best outing of the year. We've got the MLB draft coming up in a minute. But more importantly, Brendan, to start us off, the Chicago Cubs won on a Sunday. We did We're it. talking after a win. We did it. <laughs> Jamison Tyone broke the New York Yankees. We're winning on Sundays. This is the Pat Hughes turning point of the season, Corey, right now. Yeah, we will see. Uh, so interesting pod for you today. Uh, I will start by noting that the MLB draft is starting about right when we are beginning to record this. Uh, so if the Cubs get to their pick, they pick 13th in the first round tonight, we will m- talk about it a little bit. Not sure how quickly they'll move through stuff. Usually these drafts go pretty slow. But you can turn to CHGO Cubs uh, on YouTube here on the CHGO Sports YouTube throughout the week for draft coverage, uh, a full review of the picks, a full review of the draft once it's over, etc. So if if we don't get that tonight, you can find it uh, from CHGO throughout the week. So you can look forward to that. Uh, On this show, we will talk a little bit about the week that was, of course, the series with the Brewers in Milwaukee, the series in New York with the Yankees, the Cubs going four and three to finish that 13-game stretch. The whole of it was not great, but this part of the road trip, not bad, uh, with the trip in Milwaukee and New York. And then we will talk about the first half that was. So this, the you know the first portion of the season is over here, Brendan, and the Cubs sit at 42 and 47. Of course, they are uh, several games back of the Cincinnati Reds in the National League Central, and that is where we find ourselves at the All-Star break. But Brendan, keeping it to this past week, that 13-game stretch overall did not go really how they needed it to, right? Uh, That being said, though, this was a nice week of baseball. I think generally you'll take a 2-2 and split in Milwaukee. Those are very competitive games. Obviously, the game on Monday, you completely let get away from you, but you respond by having some late-inning comebacks on a very good bullpen in Milwaukee to pick up a couple Ws there. And then you take two of three from uh, not the best version of the Yankees we've seen in years, but still a, a good and competitive baseball team there in New York. Yeah, this season's so weird, right? There's been so many highs, so many lows. We were in a low for a little bit there in the past week, and then you finish off strong. So, you know, my expectations are so high for this team that sometimes, like, they're not realistic expectations, and I and I recognize that. So for them being, you know, seven games out of the division, but the All-Star break's completely... For me, like unacceptable. Baseball is such a stupid, stupid sport that they are still in this thing. And we could be talking about uh, a competitive final two months of the season by the trade deadline. That's definitely possible. It's still, for me, like not good enough. And I can still recognize that there's some concerns in the future and still have an eye on the present to try to win this very winnable division at this point. But I, I come away still generally displeased about the direction of this team, despite recognizing some of the good that is happening with the pitching and recently seeing Bellinger look better and Tyone look better and Hendricks is looking great after coming back from injury. 
you can still look at both things, both good and bad. Yeah, and a, a good weekend from Seiya Suzuki, which was desperately needed. needed. He has a homer on yeah. Sunday. That was very nice to see. And yeah, Christian in the uh, YouTube chat here live. If you're watching on YouTube live, hop in the chat. Let us know what you're thinking if you're listening or watching later. Uh, also, hello. Uh, yes, it, th- there were reports going around Twitter that uh, the Yankees will be relieving their hitting coach of their duties. So. Yeah. Jamison Tyone shuts you down, and you gotta, <laughs> yeah, you gotta make a, uh, you gotta make a change. So, b- before we get into some of the first half stuff, I do want to talk about Jamison Tyone. Um, yeah, great. You start. know, I know a lot of people not particularly enthused each time he takes the mound. The Cubs went into that game on Friday, being two and twelve in games that he had started for them this year. But he delivers his best outing of the year, and you know, for where again, like we'll continue to talk about the trade deadline and what's going to go on and all of that. Uh, but a, a start that after that series in Milwaukee, the team really, really needed to start that series in New York. Um, so really good to see. And as we talked about a lot, like. Your feelings on how his Cubs career has started, it is still a four-year deal, and getting him right and back to the pitcher that we saw not only in New York on Friday, but in New York when he was actually a member of the Yankees is an important one. So, Brendan, I I do want to ask you like what you saw from Tyone on Friday, his pitch mix, how he was locating things, anything that we can look at to kind of was there anything different from previous starts, stuff for him yeah. to build on? Again, eight innings, one hit, no runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. Just a really stellar outing from Tyone on His Friday. best outing as a cup. You don't have to look too deeply because he explained it post-game, what he was doing differently. Like That's one of the traits of Tyone I appreciate the most is that when he's describing his struggles— he doesn't shy away from it. In fact, he gives more detail than I think is even necessary uh, to us fans. He's he's describing exactly what he's trying to do. And even Hanabi does this at times as well. And what Tyone said was that his four-seam fastball, which has been the biggest struggle this season from a run-value perspective, it's been his worst pitch. We've talked about it. His four-seam fastball, he intended it to be more vertical over the last start, over the last few starts trying to get that back. Instead, over the course of the first few months here, it's been more horizontal is what he said. And he actually gave the numbers, what he was trying to do. So before the last start against the Yankees, his forcing fastball was more horizontal, moving around 7 to 10 inches horizontally. So like kind of going away arm side, almost like a sinker, more or less. And he said straight up, I need my forcing to be around 5 inches of, of horizontal break. So it's not moving that much. And it's going to play up in a more vertical pitch shape. And that's what he did. And in years past, last year, two years ago, his overall horizontal break on his four seam has been between three to five inches. And that's what it was in his last start, which is for me encouraging because we've talked about his four seam fastball and his curveball being the two staples for him. And Perhaps it may not be possible for him to get that feel back right away. And we talked about this last week where maybe he just had to rely on this new sweeper more often. The most encouraging aspect of that start was the four seam looked good, but also he still relied on that sweeper. He still threw that sweeper a quarter of the time. And that four seam was his best vertical shape of the season. And you saw it located, commanded at the top of the zone very well. By far his best start. If he can continue to command that four seam, as he did against the Yankees, then his numbers should return. And that's the type of like extreme, like, oh boy, like this looks good. Those are the types of stars that should grab people's attention. And the hope is he continues that good feel, right? It can escape him and we could go, we could go the other direction, but this is the first start for him where he actually felt and exuded that confidence in the field for his force team. It's a great sign. Yeah. And, you know, again, like I, I talked about on Friday with Cody and Ryan after that game in the post game, like it's just one start. You still yeah. need to see more. He still has an ERA north of six as a Cub. Like, of course, right? The usual caveats. But you want to th- see things trending in the right direction from where this all started. And that start certainly was uh, in that right direction. Also, you know, Kyle Hendricks gave up uh, a decent amount of hits on Sunday, but he continues to get pretty solid results for this team. Obviously, toward the end uh, of this one, you know, gives up some home runs, um, 
in the sixth there, you know, some cheapies, but whatever it, it is, happens. the stadium. Yeah. Um, just really, again, nice to see him continue to go out there and give the team a chance to win and at times really look like vintage Kyle Hendricks. I know Sunday wasn't the best start we've seen from him coming back. He almost threw a perfect game not long ago, right? But there are just those instances, Brendan, where like he's, you know, really dialing up those pitches, the change up, et cetera. And you're like, man, like this guy, maybe not like every time, but it's like, this guy still has it, you know, in him. Well, he's surprising me. Like I, I didn't expect much from Kyle going into the year just because that capsular tear is so rare and pitchers usually don't come back from that. And the injury in and of itself is rare, but yeah, man, like, and that's like one of the things that is encouraging, but still irks me because if you were to have told me Kyle would be looking this good with Steele perhaps being a, a, a competitor for the starting all-star bid with Stroman, man, like I would have thought this team was running away with the division, right? It's like one of those things that you wish the Cubs capitalized on, but there's still mm-hmm. runway left. And if Steele continues to look this good and Stroman continues to look this good, Kyle's looking good, Smiley can regain some of his uh, command, although it's been kind of rough in the past month. Like the rotation looks to be pretty stable at this point. The whole biz just like the power returns and you get that from Saya and you get that from Bellinger. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, David in the YouTube chat, big win today, ending the first half with momentum. Obviously, you have a long break here and, you know, guys are going to probably go home. Some Justin Steele going to the All-Star game, etc. cetera. Uh, but it is nice to end on a positive note, right? For whatever that's worth, it, it it's all the next day's pitcher and it's all how they play, you know, when Boston comes to town next weekend, right? But it is nice given the homestand that started that 13-game stretch. It was nice for them to respond this week and, and again, play a a competitive, well-fought series in Milwaukee and then take care of business here in New York. And you had a nice, you know, again, comeback victory on Sunday on Gomes with a big pinch hit, uh, you know, RBI opportunity there. And, you know, this team not, you know, laying down and and going into the All-Star break with a whimper, right? Like, again, for whatever that's worth, I don't know. They're going to have to, you know, I don't think you can carry momentum from Sunday to, you know, what is it, Friday when they yeah. when they play Boston. But still, it's it's nice to end on a positive note. And I will say, Brendan, happened a couple times this week. I, I, I love the fire from David Ross. I really do. Some great quotes. And, you know, we've seen it a lot in particular with Seiya Suzuki, right, where he correctly identifies the strike zone and he gets called out on strikes a lot. There was one earlier this week that, um, you know, was a kind of comeback. I think it was a, a breaking ball, and it it never came back. It was never over the plate, right? And those are the ones where it's just exceedingly frustrating. The umpiring this week was really bad. I mean, umpires suck. They it's do, the and and it wasn't job. good for either team, right? Certain games you felt like the Cubs were getting hosed more, others, you know, the Brewers or the Yankees, but it's just a really yeah. bad display of umpiring this entire week. Embarrassing, um, embarrassing attitudes from the umpires as well. Just embarrassing yeah. all, around, all around. I mean, the game starting today Terrible. with the pitchcock. I mean, what are we doing here, right? But the the main point for me being like, I like that fire out of Ross. It, it had gotten frustrating, I think, earlier in the season. There were opportunities where you really were like, Bro, at some point you got to get out there and like stand up for your guys, right? Yeah. Get tossed, get rung up, let Andy Green take over and manage the game, right? It's not that big a deal. Um, I know there are some people probably thinking that they're Do better off right? with Andy Green managing <laughs> the game, right? It is a big um, deal for some people. Right. But yeah. I, I love that fire from David Ross. And, you know, this was one of those things, I think after one of those sweeps recently, like when we came on here, I was saying like, I don't know exactly what it is but like need a little fire from this team, right? It feels a little just kind of blasé when they were playing poorly and the results weren't there. Like, and I don't need him to go on a profanity-laced tirade or anything like that. And I know he always says he doesn't like, he didn't like when the cameras caught him, uh, you know, flipping the bird. Yeah, Was that to Tommy LaStella? No, that was to Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson, right. Um, He doesn't like that. And he didn't like when the hot mic picked him up um on perfect steven that's excellent the graphic (laughs) on our youtube channel right now is absolutely perfect and if you don't mind hit that thumbs up if you are watching on youtube it helps us a lot we appreciate that anyway i love it from david ross i i love him getting fired up 
protecting his guys, and, you know, again, showing a little bit of passion, right? Just because this season has had a lot of ups and downs, maybe more downs than ups, like, you still want to see that passion. You still want to see them out there fighting, and I liked that from David Ross on Sunday. I like it, too. I I think we can criticize Ross's decisions at times. I like the environment that he brings, and I sometimes... Sometimes I lose track of that, especially when you contrast it to like Madden style. And Madden style was great for that team. But me personally, I think I relate more to like Ross's attitude that like uber competitive, like professional, like we're all in this together, like, you know, very team oriented type atmosphere. And you saw some of like the behind the scenes uh, uh, videos during spring training where like the team is clapping, like uh, clapping together. I like all that stuff, right? And for him to stand up like this, it gets me pumped up. And I do think that has value in promoting faster development for certain players. It's a big contrast to Madden and being more hands-off, letting veterans take the lead, less is more attitude, take away some of the pressure. Very different, but I just relate more to, to what Ross has been doing and the hope is he continues to learn from some of the mistakes he has made from the decisions and he's recognized that and I think it has been better lately I think the urgency with the lineups have been better moving Morel up at times yeah capitalizing on Nick Madrigal's hot streak to our displeasure at first but I do at least respect and understand some of the logic and the urgent lineup decisions he has made recently Yeah, and we talked about this on Friday uh, after Albert Alzali picked up the save, and you know he picks up another uh, on Sunday. He continues to look just really great in that yeah. role. He's got seven saves now, clean inning of work on Sunday, a two point two nine ERA. Um, but you know it is interesting, right? Like, of course, it works this way. But you see, Michael Fulmer has been quite good for a good stretch uh, of this season, right? He was Re- good today. recently, right? And he was good on Sunday. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, when we, when a lot of people were frustrated with David Ross and some of the games that they blew earlier in the season, he was aggressive with moving guys around. And now we don't really have too much of an issue with a lot of the bullpen stuff now that a lot of these guys are performing, right? So (laughs) it's interesting that it, that it works that way. Like I disagree with Ross a lot, but I think specifically in the bullpen, guys need to do their job, right? There's only so much that David Ross could do with the guys he was given. He was not handed, you know, three future Hall of Famers, high leverage, you know, lockdown kind of guys. He had to maneuver stuff around. And I think Alzali succeeding in this position, I know you and our guy Ryan Herrera have written about Alzali over at allchgo.com. Fulmer bouncing back from the early season struggles as the closer, et cetera. You know, Mark Leiter Jr. finding success. I mean, even, you know, Michael Rucker having some big outings this week and this weekend in New York. Like, all of that is, you know, Ross moving guys around and being patient. And I think it, it speaks to where you are at the lineup. There's a lot of stuff with the lineup that <laughs> oh I hate, God. right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, the offense has been so inconsistent. Um, you know, our, our guy Niren on, on Twitter earlier was showing some of those numbers from the one through five guys for the last like month or so, and they were terrible, right? You're not getting slug from guys you really need the slug fun. It it's all saying, right? It puts Ross in a in a difficult spot, and you can see him trying to make things work. All that being said, I liked the fire, and I so I, I think they needed uh, the fire from him throughout this week too, right? Like that Brewer series at times was so frustrating with the umpiring and things like that, the strikes that were getting called. Him getting ejected doesn't make the umpiring better, but it's just one of those like sort of the principle of it things where it's like, we need to see this. We need to see that this dugout cares and this dugout has that fire in them and that fight in them to, you know, sort of make a statement on some of these things. Yeah. You know, sometimes to be honest with you, Corey, I don't buy into like, oh, this team's showing no fire. Oh, oh, this team is flat. Like the incentives to succeed is so high in major league baseball. I just, I don't necessarily buy any of that. I, from a fan's perspective, I love David Ross cursing to the media. I sure. just love that. It's just yeah, entertainment. It's good content. Me. It's great content. And specifically on Ross for the decisions he's made, I look back earlier in the season when Dansby and Nico were 1-2 for like, you know, six, seven straight weeks. 
That to me suggests once a team has stability offensively, he values the routine, values the consistent lineups. It was only when the team started to struggle offensively that you saw some weirdly designed lineups and you saw some choices that suggested he was pushing the boundaries to get guys going. The Nick Madrigal, before he was off, he was batting leadoff too often. Did not like that. Master Boney, same thing. Did not like that. Eric Hosmer batting fifth, sixth at times. Did not like that. But to me, that signaled because the offense wasn't stable, he was trying to push the buttons a little bit too much. And you can criticize him for that. I know you and I both did. But at the same time, I can understand why he's doing that, even if I, at the end of the day, disagree with it. And the hope is once the team is stable, then he is going to have the environment to promote that development. He is going to put out the lineups that are rather consistent, that make mostly sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, want to get into our first ad break here in a second. I will sort of end on this as we maybe wrap our discussion just on this particular like week and, and weekend of games. Uh, really nice week for Seiya Suzuki. I know a lot of people have been frustrated with him, and he yeah. certainly seemed very frustrated with himself at times. Uh, but this this last week in Milwaukee and New York here was a good showing for him. Uh, 391 average, 423 on base, 609 slug. Of course, right? It's only seven games. But he's been one of those guys where he has those sort of – hot and cold stretches that really dramatically affect his overall numbers. So you certainly want more power from him. It was nice to see that homer on Sunday. Uh, but regardless, a, a solid week of offensive contribution for him is is very nice to see, and it was very desperately needed. So when we get back from uh, our first ad break here, again, want to go back and kind of just look at the first half. It, it squares with the discussion that we've been having about how important this stretch was, what the Cubs do at the trade deadline, how important, obviously, this stretch is after the All-Star break, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to get more into that stuff after we do the ad break. And uh, I will note our, our wonderful producer, Stephen, did let us know we are through two picks in the MLB draft in about 20 minutes. So I am not anticipating <laughs> we get to number 13. Like a clock or something? Uh, who knows? These, these drafts are always slow. So. Yeah. It is what it is. I, I'm not expecting that we read a Cubs pick live on the air here, but it is what it is. Uh, do want to take a moment to thank our first wonderful sponsor, and that is Sunnyside Cannabis Dispensary, a sponsor that is near and dear to my heart. Brendan, Sunnyside is your home for judgment-free cannabis shopping, a place where all kinds of visitors are welcome to explore, discover, and purchase a wide array of high-quality products. Sunnyside has everything you need to elevate your summer. One-stop shop for all your cannabis needs, no matter where you are on your cannabis journey. Easy online ordering and in-store pickup, great transparent loyalty programs, Sunnyside Rewards, and it is Illinois' favorite dispensary from city to suburbs, Wrigleyville to River North, Champaign to South Beloit. I have told you guys before, but I live in Wrigleyville. I shop at the Wrigleyville Sunnyside Cannabis Dispensary location. It's a wonderful, new, nice, clean building. You can place your order online. It is ready within seconds sometimes to go pick up. Their staff is very friendly. Uh, I've said before, I've been on my cannabis journey for quite some time. Uh, but if you are just starting yours, their staff can answer any questions you have, how to get started, what types, what strains, how best to consume it. Any questions you have, they can guide you and give you the best advice possible. You can shop the Sunnyside House of Brands like Mindy's, the best tasting gummy and chocolate edibles created by James Beard award-winning chef Mindy Siegel and Cresco Labs and High Supply. High Supply offers quality weed that's always available. Buds are expertly grown, lab tested, and available in vape carts, vape pens, flour, popcorn, shake, pre-rolls, shorties, and concentrates. Through August, head to sunnyside.shop and use code CHGO25 at checkout for 25% off your total order, one use per customer, not stackable with other promotions. That's not only for new customers, anyone can use our code. Pick up everything you need to elevate your summer at Sunnyside Cannabis Dispensaries. Must be 21 or older or an Illinois Med Card holder. You know, Corey, I saw some Hawaiian shirts in Yankee Stadium today. It reminded me, you can get Hawaiian shirts from FOCO. You can get fitted out in the best sports gear 
around. They have those Hawaiian shirts. They have hoodies. They have shoes. They have signs. They have bobbleheads. They have everything in between. It's baseball season. It's summer. Get those Hawaiian shirts. Get straw hats. Get polos, bags, everything you need for the bleachers. Anything you need for this Cubs team to turn it around and win this division. They've also given us some bobbleheads on set. A great Hayden Wisniewski bobblehead. Love that. Check out foco.com. Click the link in the description below. And for all non-presale items, use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. All right, Brendan. So let's set the table here for the second half, you know, kind of looking back at the first half that was again the Cubs finish the first half here 42 and 47 they sit seven games behind the first place Cincinnati Reds at 50 and 41 in second place the Cubs are six games behind the Milwaukee Brewers at 49 and 42 the Cubs are a game and a half ahead of the Pirates and four and a half games uh, ahead of the last place bottom of the division the seller St. Louis Cardinals Correct. again yeah, the worst seller. team in the division the St. Louis Cardinals Wilson Contreras and the St. Louis Correct. Cardinals yes. um sometimes my mic goes in and out so I just want to make I sure know. people hear that clearly you know what I mean yeah um when they come out of the break so the home run derby is on Monday July 10th all-star game with Justin Steele on the 11th. The Cubs are off on the 12th and 13th, Wednesday and Thursday. They then welcome in the Red Sox on Friday, a Friday night game. What's with that? I don't I don't know. Is that know. one of those Sometimes like Apple games or something like that? Maybe yeah, that's what it maybe, is. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to spend cares? $5 and watch one of those games again. Um, but this is a this is a long homestand. So they have three with the Red Sox, three with the Nationals, and then four with the aforementioned last place St. Louis Cardinals. Then they finish the month of July heading into the trade deadline with two at the Chicago White Sox, four at the St. Louis Cardinals, and then a series back at home begins on the 31st with the first place Reds. So that is the stretch that things are going to be determined, right? I was reading a tweet, and we always discuss this. I know it's easy for a lot of people to look at this team and say they're seven games back, they're behind two teams in the NL Central, uh, you know, seven and six games back. This team is not winning a championship. This is, you know, they're five games under 500, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's easy, of course, but this would be some things to keep in mind, right? This would be the third straight deadline that they sold off players, if that is indeed what they decide to do. In addition to that, I was reading, you know, just a tweet from a friend of the podcast, Evan Altman, and he was talking about how when you are trying to get people into the stadium, into your new expensive clubs in the stadium, into the sports book that you just built and all of the properties you have around the area. If the discussion of marquee being a direct-to-consumer product soon happens where you can get that as a standalone app, you can't keep doing that, Brendan. You have to at some point be trying to win, visibly trying to win, whether it's working on the field or not. Now we've had a lot of discussion about maybe soft buying, soft selling in either direction, right? Just a couple assets here or there. Maybe you sell the guys on expiring contracts, but find a way to bring in guys that can help you more immediately than, say, the return for you, Darvish, right? Like thinking in line of Scott F. Ross for Hayden Wisniewski, right? You you traded a you know reliever that was successful for you and got someone who you viewed as a piece of your rotation or your bullpen pretty immediately, right? And that's how it worked out. Hayden was up and successful for the Cubs last season. I don't know what they're going to do, Brendan, but when you look back at this first half, what do you think is your sort of initial reaction, right? If we went back earlier in the year and I told you they would be five under, 42 and 47, seven games out, how would you be feeling about this team? Not good. Not good. Realistic, it was always the possibility, actually, more than likely the outcome at this point, but I would not be feeling good. The best feeling I've had as a, as a Cubs fan was probably end of April, May of 2016, you know, before they won the World Series. Uh, felt good in 2015, felt pretty good by the end of 2014. You saw the direction. 
but I felt good because I believed genuinely that the Cubs, from an executive standpoint, were implementing strategies that were cutting edge that other teams weren't doing. In the international free agent market, I thought even with the draft on prioritizing bats in the first round and buying pitching was innovative. I thought Theo was finding different quote-unquote market inefficiencies that gave me a lot of hype. I felt good that we had a front office that was doing things differently than other front offices. These days, I'm not feeling that. And I see the Cubs trying to copycat other types of strategies. And this is not like, you know, me insinuating. I'm just, you know, hearing and being told this is kind of what's going on. And so my confidence that those strategies that that are kind of being copycat, I hope they can play out. And I think there's a possibility they can play out. But from my perspective, I don't have confidence that the direction forward is an obvious one as it was in the mid-2010s. That being said, it's still definitely a possible outcome that they can be you know, a very good organization for the next five years. It's possible that the recent draft picks by Dan Kantrovitz and the cohesiveness with the draft and the development is strong that brings in pitchers rather fast, like Kate Horton, like Jordan Wicks, and you can go out and you can buy certain free agents to supplement that rather fast development. Um, I can see that. I actually am pretty interested in that, but I don't feel as if this front office is obviously going to implement cutting-edge uh, strategies. And for that reason, like that's the high expectation I have. I'm a little disappointed with that. And I think if you were to tell me that by next April, we would be feeling the same way, then I would probably say I'm ready to move on from this front office, despite all the good that's going on. So that's where I'm kind of at. It doesn't discount that this team is in a position to win a division despite being five games under because of the fortune they've had with a terrible division. It doesn't discount a lot of the good signings that have been made. The Dansby Swanson signing, the extensions to Nico Horner, Seiya Suzuki hopefully gaining some power and having that contract be good. It doesn't discount all of that. It's just I want the bulk sum of everything. I want to be that uh, greedy fan that everything works, yeah. but it is still possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it would be difficult to look at this first half and not sort of rate it as a disappointment in in some aspect, right? I, I I see in the YouTube chat, you know, some people had lowered expectations just based on their off season. Sure, but I I think like it's still disappointing that they're five under. And given some of the performances, not really capitalizing on that. I think where I continue to land, and I felt this way going into the season, this division just has not been very good, it's right? It's been worse than I thought. Everybody in the division basically waited for somebody to get hot, and the Reds have done it, at least for now, right? And they're riding the wave of some of their call-ups and their youth movement, which is what you allow when nobody takes sort of a, a hold of the division. But at the end of the day, right, this is still an inexperienced Reds team that's nine over. And so where I get frustrated is the same way I you know, felt coming into this season. If you had done a better job in this offseason and, and added more to this offense, I think you'd be like in a really good place in this division. And we look at this lineup and I think the key for I don't think they can address it at this deadline, but this offseason and maybe the th- this deadline is used one way or the other to help them get to this point. This team needs a star hitter. They have some really good players. Dansby Swanson is a star, right? But he is a star in an all-around sense, right? They have some really good complementary hitters that would look really nice in certain lineups hitting yeah. Fifth, sixth, seventh, etc. Right. You wish you had those guys in 2018 and 2019. Absolutely. Yeah. What you don't have is a bona fide stud. Yeah. In this lineup on offense, from an the offensive Chris perspective, Bryant, right? Rizzo esque guys. When I looked, I was looking the other day, um, you know, at the Dodgers box score, right? And yeah. they have. This is not the same like version of the Dodgers we've seen in past years. They don't feel like that kind of juggernaut like they've had. But what they do have to balance out mixing and matching so many guys through the rest of that lineup, they have two guys at the top 
in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman that have a 950 or higher OPS. That is what drives that offense, is they have the absolute star consistency at the top of that lineup. So when other guys get hurt or rookies don't perform or et cetera, et cetera, it, you have that star stability at the top that kind of stabilizes the whole thing. And the Cubs don't have that. And yeah. where they get that is it's not unclear. an easy answer. Yeah, yeah. It, it's obviously not the easiest thing to produce. But right now, you have a Cubs lineup that has, you know, a decent number of guys that are hitting at an above league average pace, but they're not slugging. They don't have many guys with an 800 or higher OPS. You need guys that just are hitting the ball. And so where that comes from, I don't know. But bringing that back to my feelings on the first half, it's disappointing because we knew that that would be the problem right? You didn't go out and do that. And Jed had mentioned in some of his uh, interviews, like, you know, ultimately when you are a serious World Series contender, you need to be blowing teams out. And they didn't put an offense on the field that can blow teams out, right? So I remain disappointed that even when I knew what the roster was, I, I, I understand. We talked about it a million times, being five under, going near and around 500 a bunch and like playing close games and feeling like we gave certain games away. We knew that this was a possible outcome for this team. This is not surprising in the least, right? But it's still disappointing that this is an underperforming division. It is a very winnable division. And right now, as it stands, you're not taking advantage of that. It feels like a waste. It feels like if you had been a bit more intentional and successful with some of these depth moves or just more aggressive in this offseason to ensure that you could score enough runs, like this pitching staff has been good. Drew Smiley has struggled lately. Jamison Sion was terrible to start the season. And maybe this is the only good start that he has. I don't know, right? But on the whole, you've gotten really good pitching. Like they did figure out the and bullpen. And to their credit, they did. Yeah, you have two of the top starters in the National League, yeah, right? Bullpen that's stabilizing. And and you're still five under and seven games yeah. out. That I, I think it, it would be difficult to qualify this, even with measured expectations coming into the season, anything but a disappointing first half for this team. And that's the difficult balance I'm trying to find. Because there are good aspects that they've that they've carried out with the pitching and finding some of these moves and to their credit, not breaking the bank on like the Xander Bogarts and the Trey Turners for $300 million. Sure. Dansby Swanson seems to be like the clear winner so far of that class. I respect that and I appreciate that. And I think the pitching was smiling and the decision to bring him back is so good, but it's difficult to balance because at the same time, you talked about being more intentional, bringing in more power. You talked about, you know, trying to be more aggressive with that. It's unclear if they lacked that intention or if they're just not capable of doing that. Sure. And that's yeah. where I can't in my mind reconcile that. I, I, talk- I know I know our good friend in the chat, Michael Collada, will tell you it's that the Rickets don't <laughs> care and they don't and want them to spend. There, There is a good amount sure. of chatter in our YouTube live chat, though, of you know not really trusting Jed to be involved in this draft. He doesn't run the draft, but yeah. just his you know overseeing of it, let's say, right? Yeah. Like there's some mixed opinions on like, you know, ex- exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's like, you know, sometimes this gets washed over in, in black and white strokes as, you know, if you say stuff that you don't like, then sometimes it's interpreted as, well, what about the good? You're missing out on the good. It's not really like that. I had a discussion with our good friend, best friend of the podcast, perhaps, Greg Huss, on the Cubs on Deck podcast. And he actually used the Dodgers template as what could happen with the Cubs farm system. In that, you go out externally, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and you supplement your major league roster from a position standpoint with those draft developing guys, those mid-tier picks. And that's kind of where the Cubs farm system is going right now because you have high-volume guys. You don't have the superstar impact guys, but the Dodgers template showed that you don't necessarily need that if you also hit on those traits. And so that's also where I talk about and think about intentional intentional moves and urgency 
to me, because those trades were not made, I'm wondering if this front office is capable of doing that, especially with the logjam of high AAA prospects we've seen with the Mervis and Nelson Velasquez and Christopher Morell. It, it's, it's difficult for me to understand what's going on with that. And that's where I can't shake the idea that I'm not quite sure that this front office should be the ones carrying out those decisions, despite being optimistic about the pitching development. And despite Dan Kantrovitz perhaps being a really good, strong head of your scouting department and leading these drafts, it's a weird place to be in. Yeah. And, you know, as someone uh, just pointed out in our YouTube chat here, um, some you, you do have to be smart about the moves you make, right? Because you look at the Padres and the Mets and the Cubs are right there yeah. with those two teams, right? They're, they literally almost have an identical record. There's only so, a few front offices are like, there's maybe two front offices, the Rays and the Dodgers, where you're like, oh yeah, like right. obviously like they're the best, right? It's, like, it, yeah. It's it's one of those things where the the answer that we're looking for isn't just spending money, right? No. Like in general, the Cubs have spent money more than most teams in the league. It's about getting those decisions right and doing all the other work with your system and your draft picks and the trades you're making you have and to things be good like at that. Everything. It, it it's it's easy for us to sit here and say right, but they have what to be good do. at everything. But to something you have said before, right? With where the Cubs are valued in terms of their organizational worth, with how much our owners are worth, with how many people fill that stadium, I think it's reasonable for us to expect this organization to be at the top of that list you're, to in me, that conversation. To me, if you follow any sports team, you're lying to yourself, that's just my opinion, that you shouldn't be the best. Like, if you're not hitting the mark of the Tampa Bay Rays, I'm sorry, I got a problem with it. Like, you yeah. should be better than the Tampa Bay Rays. It's not realistic. I always keep saying this. It's not realistic, but why else am I following this team? I'm not going to accept mediocrity, Corey. He won't accept it, folks. Yeah. Uh, but we will We will continue to talk about this more. And I, I think, you know, as we talk about the deadline, again, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where people would look and say they're seven out, they're five under. What are we even talking about? Kind of part of what we need to talk about is if you sell some of these guys, you have to replace them. And it's not that easy. And yeah. so part of, you know, doing a full-blown sell at the trade deadline again is then you're looking at 2024 going, okay, well, if we sell the best hitter currently on the offense, which is Cody Bellinger, and we sell the second best, I guess, pitcher in the rotation— Okay, well, now you have to go get another best hitter and you have to get another number two in your rotation. It's not that easy, folks. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the Cubs already need that star bat. And if you look around at the free agent market and stuff like that, like unless you're bringing in Shohei Otani, which would answer both of those questions, it's it's not it's not you're, the easiest answer, right? You're implying an extension makes more sense than trading. No, I'm saying it's not as obvious as looking at the the state of this team and saying, well, yeah, they're not going to win the World Series. Like they should be yeah. sellers at the deadline. I I think it's it's more nuanced than that. Not just for 2023, but beyond. You have to yeah. put some consideration in what you're you're building toward, right? Rather than just approaching things from in a vacuum, looking at like, should we be supplementing this team, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but we will continue to talk about that in a second. Want to start our second ad break here, thanking our good friends at ComEd. The ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities they serve, helping manage energy usage and lower energy bills now and into the future. Yeah, Comet offers a wide variety of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across the territory. Comet also offers free facility assessments that can help find energy-saving opportunities like for HVAC systems, commercial kitchen equipment, or industrial processes. How does it work, Brendan? An authorized engineer, Corey, will work with you to develop a detailed assessment plan specific to your goals and needs. These can be done in person or virtually, and they last approximately two hours. Within three to four weeks, customers will receive a report detailing energy efficiency projects that can start working on immediately. Each recommendation will include estimated energy serving, savings, cost savings, project costs, potential incentives, and simple payback. If you own a business, 
Don't wait. Get started saving money on energy today. For energy saving tips, lighting incentives, or to schedule your free facility assessment, go to comed.com slash powering biz. Did you say comed.com slash powering biz? I said comed.com slash powering biz. Schedule it today. Second break here from our wonderful sponsor, DraftKings. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code CHGO. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code CHGO only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You can bet on the Home Run Derby, Corey. You can bet on the All-Star Game. Right now, the AL All-Stars are one-and-a-half run favorites. For the home run derby, Pete Alonzo is at plus 300. He typically has that short, compact, home run derby-esque swing that is good for winning these derbies. You may want to bet on that. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Massachusetts. Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org in New York. Call 877-HOPE-NY or text hope ny four six seven. 369 in Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in West Virginia. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly in partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet is $50. 10 plus legitimate requirements for a 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions do apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. When I would tell you, Brendan, uh, minus 120 yeah. on the American League, that would be my DraftKings pick of the week. I Look, I hope Justin Steele does very well. Um, beyond that, I, I don't really care which league wins. The AL just wins this more often than not. I don't like, understand why just feels like easy money, right? Like if yeah. you go back like so many years, the AL just wins this. And, you know, you can do the minus one and a half, you know, runs. I, I would just take the AL. They always win. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't that would be that. where I would put my money. Final ad break here. Back to uh, discussing this five-game under Chicago Cubs team. CHGO is supported by Goose Island Beer Company. It's been Chicago's beer since 1988. They have a very deep beer roster. They have the Goose IPA, the six-time medal winner at Great American Beer Fest. Always in style, citrus aroma, bold hop finish. They have the Tropical Beer Hug, a dry-hopped Imperial IPA. Has 9.9% alcohol. That's dangerously easy to drink when the Cubs start losing, as they've been doing so in the past few weeks. I go to Tropical Beer Hugs. They also have my favorite, though, the 312 Wheat Ale. They have the Full Pocket Pilsner. That's Cody Del Mendo's favorite. It's an everyday beer. What the brewers are drinking, not the Milwaukee Brewers. What's your favorite beer right now? There's so many to pick. And you can grab an ultra-fresh brewery-exclusive beer at Goose Island's Original Brew House on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown. That's Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. Had to make sure that I got my Goose Island sticker I know. You know, resituated up on, uh, if anyone is wondering, it's a roster and photo of the 2003 Chicago Cubs. Who's center over, in that photo, by the Is that Mark Pryor? I can tell by his, like, chicken wing. Matt Clement. That's Matt Clement? Oh, man. Yeah. Wow, I was wrong. Yep. Yeah. Um, do you have the Matt Clement goatee? Do Somewhere? I have it? Yeah. Or does he have it in that photo? Well, he, of course he has in this photo, but those, like, giveaways back then? Oh, you know? no, I don't. Yeah. You that's saw Trey Mancini had one. Yeah, you know? that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, we should bring back the Matt Clement goatee. We can both just shave him in. Um... So yeah, uh, appreciate that from Michael Collada, as he says on our live YouTube chat. If you don't mind, if you are watching on YouTube or going to YouTube and hitting that thumbs up, uh, it does help us reach some more folks and support the show. We appreciate that. Getting back to this team, um, 
Yeah, Brendan, like it, there there has been a lot of good development. I see some, you know, discussion of Miguel Amaya, his resurgence in the Cubs system, and obviously his performance at the MLB level has been one of the best stories of the first half. You have some homegrown pitching doing big things, Justin Steele, Adbert Alzali. Um, you've got, you know, Christopher Morell trying to find a position, playing some second base uh, with Dansby Swanson out. So there is a lot that has gone really well. Cody Bellinger with, you know, uh, 125 WRC plus, uh, looking like a really good signing, however you decide to proceed with that. But getting back to the point that I was making before, like, I don't feel like they have to sign or re-sign or extend anyone, but it is a little difficult to figure, you know, when you look at this team and they need star power on offense, right? And if you get rid of Cody Bellinger, uh, you know, what that return would be, we've seen some returns for some of these trades, you know, not be like that exciting, right? Um, If you do decide to trade Marcus Stroman and, you know, not extend him, Again, I can see the logic of it, right? He's in his, you know, he's going to be 33 next year. Like, it's it's not a slam dunk of uh, a move, but it does get hard to figure, like, where are these replacements coming from? Because this team isn't winning games right now at a clip that you'd be happy with with those guys. So you'd need to replace that production in the rotation, which, again, is right now one of the best pitchers in the National League. And you'd need to be replacing your best offensive players so far in this season. It's it's not the easiest thing to do. And I did see mention of Matt Chapman, uh, you know, you, who you could pursue as a free agent, plays third base. That would solve some needs, but he is uh, 30 years old, you know. So it's it's and I think he's going to be 31 shortly here. So it's again, you get into that territory of how comfortable are you signing someone like that? How long of a deal would he be looking for? Like, it's all just to say, I think that I, if I were Jed, right, and I'll, I'll pose this question to you, how you would approach this trade deadline, right? If I were Jed right now, I'm obviously not going to pour significant resources into the 2023 Chicago Cubs. I'm not going to sell huge prospects to try and make this group work, right? When you're seven games out, and have to hurdle over two teams, etc. But I I would have some reservations about just, you know, gutting this team of their good players because I'm looking ahead to 2024 and saying, where is this production going to come from? There's a lot of chatter about selling Stroman, about selling Bellinger, inevitable free agents, right? A lot of chatter about not pouring in resources, like you said, Corey, to this 2023 team, because obviously the chances of them winning a World Series this year are like 0.01%. So why not just sell? Why not just get rid of everyone and reevaluate? The alternative and the counter to that argument is, okay, what do you gain by keeping Stroman and Bellinger? From Stroman's perspective, you gain data. You gain more of an informed decision to extend them. He's a 33-year-old pitcher. The pitching market for free agency, it might be robust to some people. For me, it's not really as inspiring. I like Aaron Nola. I think he's great, but like I don't see that surefire bona fide like ace where I'm willing to give up a lot of money. So for me, if I'm internally with the Cubs, that data is invaluable. So you can make a better informed decision on Strowman. Also, you keep him in an environment where he wants to stay. The incentive to stay with the current team is probably pretty high, having that comfort. Some guys don't like going to different environments. John Mm -hmm. Lester was one of them. He was scared to get traded to the Oakland A's, but he did, and actually inspired him to move on to the Cubs. Some guys like that consistency. How did that go, Brendan? They won the World Series. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. I know. That's cool. So I do think there's value of keeping Stroman within the organization. As for Bellinger, the same logic can be applied. There's a void in first base. You have health, recent injuries with Cody Bellinger. Those types of reports are invaluable when you're trying to make informed decisions. And what do you get from Bellinger? What do you get from Stroman prospect-wise? Prospects are evaluated very differently. Do you want to go out 
and Trey Strowman for 20, 21-year-old prospects that may not have immediate impact two years from now. In Jed Hoyer's mind, he may not have a job with the team in two years. So from a GM perspective, what is the incentive? From a president perspective, what is the incentive to trade for 2024, 2025? Probably pretty low selfishly. But that's how some of these guys have to act out of just self-security. So I can see the argument of keeping these guys for competing next year in the value being information. And I can also see the argument from Jed Hoyer's perspective that, hey, man, like if I trade these guys for prospects that are in high A, even below those levels, that's going to signal to my boss, you're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. And it's going to create more of an incentive from the boss to move on. And yeah. from a self-secure standpoint, that's got to be unsettling. Yeah, and as I've said before, like whatever you think of the Ricketts, and Brendan and I have let our opinion of that be known many times over uh, in terms of their spending and things like that, but where they are right now is not, even if you think nefariously, right, that they just want the Cubs to be good enough, right, to convince people that they're in the mix and to fill the stadium every day because there's going to be work, by the way. meaningful, yes, but that's not where they are right now. Yeah. That's my point. Like a lot of people are very frustrated. You see it in this chat. They need to be even in that scenario, right, where they don't care about being this hypothetical scenario where they don't care about being the best, right? They're they're not they're not there yet, right? Like they they have not convinced everybody to be bought in on this team, which is what they need, right, to make the most money. So it, it's a tough spot, right? Um, if you told me right now that they really were going to go all in for Shohei Otani, they were going to offer the most money, and obviously he gets to choose where he wants to go, but they were really going to make like the best effort. They can do whatever they want at the trade deadline. I don't even care, right? I don't know if I believe that, right? You're going to be competing with some serious, serious spenders, the Yankees, the Dodgers, like teams that are going to make a really serious effort to get Shohei Otani. competitive. Right. So, and of course he answers so many of these questions, but it's a tall order to be the winning bidder on a, maybe the the best player we've ever seen, right? Like if he continues at this pace, right? He's the best pitcher and hitter. So regardless, it's all to say um, it was a nice finish to this first half heading into the all-star break and it's going to be nice um you know to see Justin Steele get his flowers his deserved moment on Tuesday uh Dansby's not going to play obviously he's dealing with the injury Marcus Stroman has decided not to play with the world baseball classic and stuff just wants to make sure he's fresh for the second half here but Justin Steele will and he will get his moment and it is much deserved he is uh, I think easily the best story from this first half of the Chicago Cubs he is you know one of the best pitchers in baseball and that is a homegrown talent that the Cubs uh, have developed and turned into that so that's going to be exciting but it's a it's a tough spot that they're in um you know as far as how they proceed with some of this stuff um it's going to be very interesting obviously a huge homestand coming out of the all-star break to sort of send us into the trade deadline so that is where a lot of these decisions will be made um and as we've said, I, I think for me, the most the most sensible thing would be if you really get some nice offers on some of these short-term assets, guys that are going to be free agents, you can accept them. But as long yeah. as you're making moves that are, yes, you want the returns to be helping you immediately and you maybe make some other moves that are more future-oriented, right? Buying on guys that can fill in some of these positions. Maybe you find guys that are available at the trade deadline here that you don't have to go and sign guys like Trey Mancini or Tucker Barnhart to fill in those positions, right? You maybe address some of those marginal moves from teams that are looking to just move players. Easier said than done, but I don't get paid the big bucks to do it, right? No. So this is Try. where, and, and again, you brought it up, Brendan, like this is where some of those teams really excel at this stuff. The Rays, the Dodgers, they're always making moves, trying to improve their depth and their margins and things like that. It's not always, you know, black or white in terms of we're trying to win the World Series and we're making this move, right? Sometimes these moves can be for next year. They can be for, you know, two years yeah. down the road, et cetera, et cetera. But they're always thinking. They're all The chess game is never ending, right, for these great organizations. So 
It's going to be we'll interesting. See. Yeah. We'll if, see. if, if, if like right now, like gun to your head, are you extending Marcus Stroman or Cody no. Bellinger? Are you? No. It's too early. But it doesn't mean I want to trade them, mm-hmm. right? For, for, before we sign off here, with Stroman, in principle, extending mid 30 old pitchers who succeed not because they get whiffs is unsettling to me. Doesn't discount that Stroman could be that unique pitcher that breaks those trends. But to me, you need more information to make that decision. I'm open to it, right? I'm yeah. not, I don't not want to extend Stroman, but I still need to see more how it plays out. That data is invaluable. And then you make a decision come yeah. November or December. All right, so where we will leave you, again, Cubs finished the first half 42-47. and 47. They are seven games out of first place. Uh, I, I would be lying if I told you I knew how these next few weeks were going to play out and how this trade deadline was going to play out. Um, but it was a, you know, I think a disappointing first half on the whole. Um, and we'll see what the, the second half has for us. So enjoy the All-Star break, um, and we the Cubs will be back on Friday. CHGO Cubs will be back on Monday at 3.30 Central Time in the afternoon, breaking down the MLB draft and everything that has gone on with that. And you can continue to follow the CHGO Cubs uh, Twitter, YouTube, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts for continued uh, draft coverage as the draft goes on and, you know, more in-depth analysis of their picks, et cetera, et cetera. It's very nice. We appreciate you guys joining the YouTube chat here. Very nice to come on after a win uh, and, you know, not have everything soured by another Cubs loss. So that was very good. If you're on YouTube, again, hit that thumbs up. Uh, if you're listening on your podcast feed, if you wouldn't mind leaving a five-star review and a comment, we do appreciate that. We, Brendan and I, will talk to you again next Sunday when the Cubs finish up their series with the visiting Boston Red Sox. Thank you guys for tuning in and supporting the CHGO Cubs podcast. We will talk to you again soon, and as always, go Cubs.